Hey, Camp Kids. Welcome back to the Camp Kids Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Bob, and I'm on a mission to bring together a community of camp people from all around the world. Whether you are currently in your camp career or it's been a while since you've been at camp, when you're with us, you're at home. In this week's episodes, we hear from Thunder, who has camp experience with the Girl Scouts, the YMCA, and an international camp experience in Kosovo. Thunder and I crossed paths at Girl Scout Camp Sacagawea in 2016 and got in so deeply into her camp experience that we decided we're splitting it up into two parts, releasing just the first part of our conversation today. In this conversation, we dive deep into the multiple camp transitions Thunder has made in her camp career, how to go all summer working as a camp staff member and then transitioning to an international camper, how she transitioned from Girl Scouts to the YMCA organization, and then back again to the Girl Scouts, and of course, how she founded the Unicorn Protection Program. We'll share the second part of our conversation later this week, but without further ado, let's hear it from Thunder. Thunder, welcome to the Camp Kids Podcast. It is so awesome to be reconnecting with you again. Can you tell us who you are and where you're speaking to us from today? Absolutely. I am so happy to be here. So my camp name is Thunder. My real name is Caitlin. I currently reside in Des Moines, Iowa, and that's where I am right now. Woohoo. That's awesome. Fun stuff happening in Des Moines for sure. Of course. Well, <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your camp background and experience. Did you go to camp as a camper? I did. So I was homeschooled growing up. So my parents placed a lot of importance on extracurriculars and things like that. I mean, I was a dancer. I was taking art classes. I was doing day camps. I mean, just about anything that you could do as a youth in youth programming, I did. I think I was like seven or eight. And ironically enough, I hated it. I think looking back on it now, I just was not ready for camp as a child. But like, I was homesick the whole time. I didn't feel like any of my counselors liked me. I also was a really picky eater growing up. So like the food insecurity and having to try the new foods at camp. That was the one and only time that I went to Camp Sacagawea as a camper. And I just really hated it. Never went back as a camper. (laughs) Then I also did another Girl Scout camp, a couple of Girl Scout camps, actually. There was one that I did that like started at Camp Tanglefoot here in Iowa and then went halfway through the week to a Girl Scout camp called Camp Nayeti. And it has since closed down. I can't find a whole lot of information about it. And same deal, was homesick the whole time, really disliked it, had just the hardest week. I was probably like a nightmare camper because I was that one that was like sobbing late at night. Like, I just want to go home. Just let me go home. So those were the Girl Scout camps I did. And then a few years later, probably 10, 11 years old at this point, I actually went to Riverside Lutheran Bible Camp with my childhood best friend at the time and just had like the complete opposite experience it was the most fun I had ever had I think I went to Riverside like four summers three or four summers in a row I can't remember exactly but I just had so much fun there and that was actually the camp that made me kind of think hey I'd love to come back as a counselor and do this as an adult international camp that I did as an adult working in the midst of working summers as a camp counselor. I got to attend camp in Kosovo as a camper. So that was a really interesting experience. Oh my gosh. And not many that I know a lot of people have ever been able to do before. Uh, Before we dive into your international camp experience, I'm curious to know since were you in Girl Scouts for And was it mostly just through resident camp or summer camp, or did you do anything else in the organization as well? So I started as a daisy. Like I said, I was homeschooled. However, I did attend preschool and half-day kindergarten. And while I was in kindergarten, my mom connected with some of the other kids that I had made friends with and decided to start a Girl Scout troop for me and some of the other kids in my class. 
And uh, she had been a Girl Scout growing up and her mom was her troop leader. That was something she wanted to give to me as well. So I started as a Daisy back in 2003. So like early to mid 2000s. Daisies didn't have uniforms back then. We weren't allowed to sell cookies. It was way different then than it is now. And I went all the way through being a junior, I think. And at that point, I feel like that's when a lot of Girl Scout troops kind of end up disbanding a little bit. Because at that point, you're like tweens and, you know, younger teens, and they're starting to kind of go off and do their own thing. So I was really involved with daisies and brownies. Everyone kind of was like off doing their own thing, pursuing other interests. So yeah, once I got to junior, we just, it just kind of fizzled out. Absolutely. And you are a hundred percent correct. That is unfortunately what we do see a lot of in the organization. And it happened to me as well. It happened just a little bit later on. We pretty much stopped meeting in middle school. Pretty much if you don't have your people, it's really hard to stay connected. It is. organization. Yeah, well, and like I said, I was homeschooled and I was the only one in my troop that was homeschooled. And like at that point, some of the girls that had joined the troop had, you know, started going to different schools, like they weren't all at the same school anymore. So it was a lot harder to like, get this group of two and this group of three and this group of four from these different schools in the metro area all together for one thing. Well, tell us a little bit about your international camp experience. And as you mentioned earlier, I'm so curious to know how it was being a staff member all summer and then being able to be a camper. Yeah, absolutely. That was a really interesting dynamic for me to conquer once I got there. So that connection actually came from Rafiki. This was in 2017. I had already been rehired as a returning staff member for the 2017 season. And I had traveled internationally the summer before as well. So Rafiki was aware that it was something that I was passionate about and wanting to travel. She had met with a woman named Johona, who was the director of a youth program and camp over in a tiny little country called Kosovo. And Johona had come traveled here to Iowa because there was a sister city program with some cities here in Iowa and some cities over in Kosovo. And the whole idea was that they were going to hold an international camp and bring some of the Iowans here uh, over to Kosovo for this camp at the end of the summer. And Rafiki reached out to me and she was like, hey, this sounds like something that you would be interested in. They're looking for camp staff and camp participants. And I said, going to camp in Kosovo? I didn't even know where Kosovo was. I didn't even know Kosovo was a country until they were like, hey, this camp in Kosovo. So I reached out to TOKA is the organization. I reached out to them, just said I was interested. And they were like, yeah, we're looking for campers to attend. It was an older camp setting. So like all the campers were international teens between the ages of like 17 to, I think there was like 21. I want to say 17 to 21 was like the age group for the campers for this international camp. And yeah, they, they even said they were like, you know, we'll wave if you're really wanting to come do this. We're really trying to get participants for this camp. If you want to do this, we will cover your tuition fees if you can fly yourself here. And I said, done. I <laughs> purchased my plane ticket, I think, during staff training of 2017 at SAC for this international camp. And it was the last two weeks of our season at camp. So I actually had to leave camp early to go to this international camp. And yeah, it was it was really, really awesome. I mean, they had campers from like Romania, Finland, Macedonia. It, it was just really, really cool. Wow. That does sound incredible. Did they offer anything like really, that since? 
Not that I know of. I believe they still do international camps, but I think it's they've centered their focus more on the local area now and sending Kosovar youth elsewhere for volunteer opportunities um, because Kosovo is not completely recognized as a sovereign state. They don't have as many visa opportunities for traveling there. So I think they've switched their focus a little bit more to center on the the local youth in Kosovo. I think they still have international camps. I was kind of looking at their website to figure out what they still do. And it's more centered on like youth service learning clubs and education and leadership roles and stuff like that. I'm so glad you were able to have that experience. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's so crazy because, like like I said, Kosovo didn't know anything about it. It's a country roughly 4,200 square miles, which is, for reference, not that bigger than, like, the Des Moines metro. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. <laughs> Des Moines metro is, like, 3,600 square miles, and so Kosovo is not that much bigger. Like, we drove, I mean, we drove for 45 minutes and we hit the Albanian border, which is just kind of crazy to think about a country that small. But it was a really beautiful country, really mountainous. We got to spend some time in the mountains. And going from being a counselor to being a camper there, I brought a very unique perspective because that was the first that summer that they did that international camp, that was like the first time they had ever done anything like that. So all of their staff and all of their counselors were like first year counselors. So technically I had like more counseling and camp working experience than the counselors that were my counselors, quote unquote. It was really interesting because we just were able to bring a lot of unique perspectives to the international camp. Like it was a mixing pot of just all kinds of people from all over the Balkan area and from Iowa. Well, I'm sure we could do just a whole podcast episode just about your experience. Oh, literally. And honestly, we we totally could. I'd be so happy to talk about that whole experience. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to schedule something. Let you dive through all of that stuff again. And absolutely. Oh, wonderful. Well, let's talk a little bit about your experience as a staff member. You worked at some different camps. I would love for you to be able to tell us what camps you worked at and what kind of positions you held, too. Yes, for sure. So my first experience as camp staff was at Camp Sacagawea in Boone. I worked there the summer of 2016 as a unit counselor and the summer of 2017 as a unit counselor and undercover barn staff. The next camp that I worked at was Camp Foster. It's a YMCA camp in Okaboji, Iowa. That summer, I was a counselor slash ranch staff. Ranch staff was my secondary role. I was mainly a counselor that kind of helped out at the ranch when needed. Summer of 2019, I was the assistant director at Girl Scout Troop Camp Singing Hills in Minnesota. It's in a small little town called Elasian outside, like, I think it's like a 20-minute drive outside of Mankato. So those were, I, I, I have quite a wide array of experience at many different camps and in many different positions. Yeah, you most certainly do. Now I have to ask, what is undercover barn staff? (laughs) So Trotter had maybe mentioned a little bit about the Unicorn Protection Agency. Yes, she did. (laughs) I am the one of the original founding members of the North American branch of the Unicorn Protection Agency. Back in the summer of 2017, I was actually hired to be a unit counselor and work at the barn part-time. So my true title, part-time barn staff that summer. But the issue once we got into the summer is that telling campers that I was a part-time barn staff member is really, really boring in the context of camp. And kids are kind of like, what's that mean? I kind of brainstormed with Trotter and was like, I need a fun title to explain to kids why I kind of help out at the barn, but I don't fully work there. I'm more of the counselor that bounces back and forth. 
And she had mentioned that the past summer, Olaf, the unicorn, um, she was like, you know, what if, what if we kind of played off that and you're like his agent and you're working at the barn undercover? And I'm like, there it is. It, that's it. I'm undercover barn staff. So I adopted that title and then the whole Unicorn Protection Agency branched out of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful <laughs> and I love how you led you were like I am like the founding member of yes I I'd like to make that a point because the UPA is still very much alive at Camp Sacagawea and obviously I have stepped away from the organization I'm doing some uh, deep undercover work right now but it's still very much alive and I I just love that I was a part of that legacy and that it's still going strong at camp and I think they even have like unicorn programs now where it's like horse programs but you, it's a lot about like the unicorn mythology and lore and that really was like a big brainchild for me and I just I'm just so happy that it's still a thing and that kids and campers to this day still get enjoyment from it because it really was just like very offhand I'm like oh undercover and then I had this wacky idea I'm like well if I'm gonna be undercover barn staff I gotta get into this so over our 4th of July break that summer, I went home, I bought a Navy t-shirt, a Navy baseball cap, some yellow fabric paint, and I painted the shirt and the hat to look like an FBI uniform, except it was UPA. <laughs> and then I took a pop can and some duct tape. I like cut the pop can the aluminum can and I like rolled it open so it's one flat piece of aluminum and I embossed a badge that has like a little rainbow on it and it says like special UPA special <laughs> agent and I like set it in this little duct tape badge so that it looks like an like a police badge and I rolled up to camp after our fourth of July break and was like it's happening the UPA is officially real now <laughs> So I still have that shirt and that hat and my pop can duct tape police badge. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's incredible. Those are like some of my favorite pictures from camp. Because I even have some with Olaf with the horn that he was wearing that Trotter made. Because she made him a horn out of like air dry clay. And for the longest time, I kept that horn it had like broken, like the tip broke off, like at, towards the end of the summer. And it was all sweaty and grimy from being at the barn. And I kept that thing for way longer than I should have. It was really, really nasty. But there are pictures of me with Olaf wearing the horn while I'm in all my UPA garb. And they are hands down some of my favorite pictures of me at camp ever. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, my next question has to do with your transition to the YMCA camp the next summer. What prompted you to want to work for the Y organization? You know, honestly, it was not necessarily the want to work for the YMCA. It was more just a desire to do something different. I'd been at SAC for two summers. You know, I'd seen how like Girl Scouts worked. I'd seen how Camp SAC worked. And I don't know, something that second summer... I still had a really great time and it was still a really great experience, but something for me that summer, I was just like, there's more out there. I, I, I want to do something else. I want to try something different because in the big picture, you know, Camp SAC is a very, very small part of the camp world. And so I just thought, why not? Let's look for something else. I had vacationed a little bit in the Okaboji Spirit Lake area and I really, really liked it. I was aware that there were camps in that area. And so I just looked up what they were and one of them was a Y camp. And I thought, well, I can't get much more opposite from Girl Scout camp than a co-ed camp. <laughs> um, let's give it a shot. Obviously the next biggest difference was that it was co-ed, uh, which has its pros and its cons, I guess, for me coming from like the Girl Scout experience because it gave me the opportunity to meet a lot of 
knew and other people that I wouldn't have been able to meet at Girl Scout camp because they wouldn't have been allowed there. <laughs> True. Um, yeah. So that was really nice. But, you know, it does add a different dynamic to the staff completely. I think that was the hardest thing for me is having it be co-ed. I think that just naturally causes there to be a lot more interpersonal slash romantic infatuation drama, which I just, that's not why I go to camp. Obviously the social aspects of camp is a big part of it, but there was a lot of drama at that camp that I'm just like, this ain't why I'm here. This ain't me. Like, I don't want any part of this. The other thing that was a bit of a more challenging adjustment to Camp Foster, which I, I really respect about Camp Foster, but had a hard time adjusting to it, was they have a very, very strong and intense camp culture. It's the oldest Y camp in the state of Iowa. It originally opened in 1912. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, it's a very, very old they have a lot of very ingrained traditions and coming into it a good portion of the staff had been going to the camp their entire life to that camp culture was really really shocking when I first went to Camp Sac I think that first week of staff training I think as most people do you kind of have that moment of like what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> what am I doing here? This is crazy. This is mad. Um, and, you know, you get adjusted to it. When I went to Foster, it was that on steroids. And I had already been in the camp world. So I, I knew kind of what to expect. But I remember that first day at Camp Foster the rest of staff training and I got there someone greeted me the camp was really really big because I was there before main staff training I didn't really get an official tour or anything I kind of pulled up and they were like okay you can you know move your stuff into this cabin we meander on down to dinner and they're already running camp program they already had like a dance camp or something that was there so there were already staff members there working we were eating dinner with the staff members that were there working already and this camp program that they were running and we sat down to eat dinner it was crazy hectic we were sitting at the staff table we had burgers and i took some pickles i took the the last of the pickles that were in the bowl at our table and I put them on my burger and I go about eating my burger. No one has really spoken to me or these other two new staff members. We're just kind of sitting there like observing everything that's going on. And the person that was sitting across from me was, like I said, a current staff member there. And she looked at this empty bowl of pickles and she looked at the three of us and she goes, okay, well, who killed the pickles? And we were like, what? It's like, well, who killed the pickles? She's like, who took the last of the pickles? I said, well, well, I did. I said, I, and she was like, well, if you take the last of it, you have to go get a new serving of it. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'd be happy to do that. I said, I, I didn't know that. And I don't know where the kitchen is, but if you tell me how to do that, I'll do that. But it was just, it really caught me off guard. Cause I'm like, lady, I've been here an hour. <laughs> and, and like, I was already expected to just jump right into this really intense camp setting that I had no idea of what anything that was going on. So that was like my very first evening at Camp Foster. It was a very jarring situation to jump into. <laughs> like, Ugh. who killed the pickles? I, I don't know where the kitchen is. <laughs> I'll get more pickles. I just don't know where the kitchen is. Like... <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help but laugh at it now. Just the phrasing of it and everything. It's pretty yeah, hilarious. Yeah, well, but... and that's what, it, that's what it's called, is if you take the last of something, you're killing that dish. Like, that's yeah. the terminology we use. But the fact that she just threw it out, and I'm like, clear. you have to know that, like, me and these other two people have never been here before. I'm like, I don't know who you are. You didn't talk to us. You, we haven't even introduced each other. And you just are like, okay, well, which one of you killed the pickles? 
<laughs> so I'm assuming that they did not serve their meals family style then. No, they do not. They had literally everything about their camp was different. There were very few routine things that were the same. The way that they served meals was they had like a service window in the kitchen and you would send up one of your campers from your table at a time to grab it. And it was family style because it was all like on the table. Whoever took the last of whatever was there, you had to go and get a refill of that specific item. It was family style, but it was very chaotic. Meal times were very, very chaotic. Hopefully it got a little bit better throughout the summer and gave you a, at least a bit of a different experience like you were hoping for. I do have to ask for a clarification. Is ranch staff similar to like barn staff or what, what entails in ranch staff? Yes. So it, it's basically the exact same. The only difference was the title. They run their horse programs a little bit differently. They offer like trail rides just for all of camp. Like it's an activity that any camper can sign up to do. But then they also have a specialized horse camp where you go and you ride the horses either in the morning or in the afternoon in addition to a trail ride every day. So yeah, that just entailed either me like going to the ranch in the morning and doing morning chores or being there to lead afternoon trail rides or being there in the afternoon to lead boots and saddles, I think is what their their horse program was called basically the exact same thing as barn staff just they had a ranch they called it a ranch and that was the other thing too is the difference between camp sack and camp foster foster has their own horses i mean they keep their horses year round the horses that are there belong to camp foster and the ymca whereas sack rents their horses and brings them in every summer so that was kind of interesting too because the horses were a little bit better trained at, at foster because they live there. It's what they do every summer. <laughs> Very curious to know about your transition then back into the Girl Scout world, but to the Girl Scout troop camp Singing Hills. Tell us a little bit about what made you want to go out there and become an assistant director. So what made me want to go out to Singing Hills actually was a person that I met at Camp Foster. Her name is Elise. Her camp name is Grandma. Oh, that's the best camp yeah. name. It's so good. I mean, she's my age. She's like in her mid 20s. And when we were working at camp together, we were in our early 20s. So like, it's hilarious <laughs> that her camp name's grandma and she's like a 22 year old. But we had a very roundabout way of finally meeting each other. Because she also worked at you guessed it, Camp Sac Juia, <laughs> Club of all camp people, apparently. She had worked at Camp Sac Juia in the summer of 2015, the summer before I went for my first summer. And she was supposed to work at Camp Sac in 2016, was hired and everything. And I friended her on Facebook because when I was added to the staff page or whatnot I just kind of friended everyone on there because I'm like well I'm going to be working with these people so I friended her on Facebook and then she never ended up showing up to camp in 2016 to find out she had actually gotten hired at Foster that year instead me and her connected at Foster really did not communicate or talk all that much until the very last week of the summer when we were made co-counselors of a cabin together. And what do you know, it we just hit it off really, really, really well. Everyone had kind of gone the whole summer being like, Thunder and Elise are just perfect together which was like I said really weird because we didn't really talk or communicate or work together all that much throughout the summer until that very last week but everyone was just like Thunder and Elise are are so similar like they would work so well together so we worked that last week of Camp Foster together and just became really really close very very fast and found that we worked really really well together she reached out to me in the spring of 2019 and said, hey, 
I'm the camp director of a small troop camp in Minnesota and I need an assistant director. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Sign me up. It actually was not that smooth. I, I had a lot of reservations about going to camp again because of my my challenges that I had faced at Foster that, that summer. But so I, it took me some thinking time and some reflecting time to actually accept the job the assistant director job in Minnesota. I was not sure I was going to do it, but at the end of the day, it, for me, it just became an opportunity I couldn't pass up. I'm like, assistant director on my resume is going to look nice. So it was a very, very small camp. It was a troop camp. So being at troop camp, what I was really excited about was that I was not going to be in charge of children because all the children come with their own adults. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a different experience. Instead of managing children, really what we were doing was leading the programming of all the camps and just making sure everything ran smoothly throughout camp. You know, they came to camp to do activities with their groups. They came with their adults. So there was nothing that we had to do child care wise side of leading the programming which was really really nice i think that gave me a lot of good experience and it gave me a lot of leadership experience because my focus was on my staff which again was really small we had a staff of 10 including all of us and only four of said staff myself included in that were american the other six were all international wow and only one of the four that were American was actually local to the area. She lived in the area and would commute back and forth to camp every day for work. All of the camps I've worked at have been so drastically different from each other. It's just, it's given me a very wide range of experience. Of that, you were able to diversify your camp experience. That is something I really wish that I would have done. And mm -hmm in my summers that I was attending camp full-time because really the only diversification I got was, I mean, going up to Sacagawea a couple of yeah. weeks. And then I did do like an American diabetes camp and worked for like a church camp on and off here and there, but not for like a full summer. None of my extra camp experience was at a full summer at another facility. So that's yeah. awesome that you were able to, to get that yeah. experience. It was really awesome. Well, and camp singing hills was really cool because it's part of the Girl Scout River Valleys Council in Minnesota, and they are actually in charge of five different camps. They like train all their camp staff at their main camp. So I, I got to like experience another camp within that council. Actually, I got to experience three of the five camps within that council because we trained at Elk River and then they sent us all to our respective camps. And then the last two weeks of our summer, my staff was in charge of staffing their day camp programming at their day camp, Edith Mayo. We were commuting two hours round trip every day for two weeks. Oh <laughs> Staff my gosh. Yes, staffing their day camp. And because coming back around to most of my staff being international, because of that fact, only me and grandma were actually certified to drive the vans. So me and grandma were making that drive. We switched off. We'd be like, okay, you get to do the morning today and you get to do the night shift tonight. And we, we switched off so that we could sleep on the way to and from, because like I said, it was an hour drive there and an hour drive back. It was a lot of work, but it was also good because like I said, we got to experience another camp that was just a day camp. We didn't have any resident camp going on. So it was kind of nice to come back to our camp and just chillax and just have it be us at camp, nothing else going on. It taught me a lot about myself. I, I don't think I realized until I worked at Singing Hills that I am an introvert with extroverted tendencies. I love meeting new people. I love being around people, but it is draining for me and I need my alone time to recharge. And so that was something that I really valued at Singing Hills because as assistant director, I got my own private room. 
my own yeah my own private bedroom now it was across the hall like it's in our program center so it's not like it's completely private or anything but that was camp luxury to me because at that point I had been you know at camp sack where I'm sleeping in a cabin with other counselors or in a lodge with counselors and campers and then to foster where you're sleeping in your cabin with your co-counselor and your 10 campers to my own room at camp. (laughs) And I was like, this is great. I love this. I'm thriving. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I've never had that experience at camp before. (laughs) I've never, and I've been a camp director. I've never been able to have my own room. So yeah, it was, it was luxury for sure. It was, and that, like I said, that was when I was like, wow, no wonder I was feeling so drained and beat out last summer at Camp Foster where I had no alone time, no private space, very little time off to basically every evening after campfire. I mean, we had the evenings off, you know, like unless in, I mean, I was on call per like quote unquote on call because if something came up, I was expected to handle it and figure it out. But I mean, after campfire, we'd be like, all right, we'll see y'all at breakfast tomorrow. Bye. <laughs> That's such and a... Then, you know, their troops would head out, go to their units, and we would go to our housing, and I would just chill out. Like, I could, you know, watch TV at the end of the day. I could take a nice, long, hot shower. It was, it was a completely different <laughs> working environment at Singing Hills than it was at either of my two previous camps. Yeah, that's incredible. Now, did you have other staff members that stayed up in unit with the troops or were they pretty much completely on their own up there? So the staffing situation, like that housing situation for the staff, they were in their own unit and the troops were there. They were, I mean, I think that was like part of some of the stipulations and like the contracts that they signed is that like when they come to troop camp, their troop leaders are entirely responsible for the well-being of the kids and like we're obviously there to help but like we're we're not in loco parentis as you would be at any other camp you know where you're taking on the parental role and making sure these kids are okay they came with their troop leaders and that was all their deal so our camp our staff was supposed to live in a unit of really really old platform like i guess they weren't really platform tents i've never seen a camp structure like this they were like screened in that it was like a frame a tent frame with screens and then canvas on top of it so it was like a weird mix between a cabin and a platform tent and that was where our staff was supposed to stay And like two weeks into the summer, me and grandma were like, this is not working. Like our staff is not sleeping well because they were, they're so old that like the mosquitoes that we were dealing with, also just the area that we were dealing with, the mosquitoes were out of control. And so we ended up makeshifting the basement of our program center, which also happened to serve as our staff lounge. Uh, We ended up making a room down there for them where they could stay that was actually indoors and air conditioned and not where the bugs were. Yeah, that's where they lived. So they lived in the basement of the the building that I was living in. Something I forgot to mention about Singing Hills that I really, really love is that it is called the camp that Cookies built. The reason it's called that is because back when they were trying to find a place for this new resident camp. In 1958, they tasked Jean and Ludholm with finding a large camp with its own lake. And she ended up finding a fish lake, which is the lake that Camp Singing Hills has. And they bought the land in 1961 and in 1963 they sold 30,809 Literally, Girl Scouts sold cookies, and that's how they made this camp. Like, it's so cool. 
That is really neat and such a, a test to the organization and to say that yeah. it's still here, like yeah. <laughs> they're still going there and having yeah. a great time. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I'm so glad that you did. I'm also kind of curious since it's called Singing Hills, do you guys do a lot of singing at Singing Hills then? <laughs> you know what? Singing Hills was probably the camp I sang the least at. Oh, that's right. I know it is kind of sad. Hypothesis as to why that was. There were no returning staff members to Singing Hills. Because it's a troop camp, I don't think there's a whole lot of camp culture. And like I said, the only people that had ever attended camp previously were me, Grandma, and CJ, our local staff member. So we did not do a lot of singing because... You know, we didn't know a lot of songs between the three of us. We were having to come up with all the songs. Did We got better towards the end of the summer. We definitely stepped more into actually having building like a really good structured routine and doing flag the, the same way every day and doing camp sing before meals and being able to do that. At the start of the summer, we really had no idea what we were doing because there was no one there to help us previously be like, okay, this is how we run things. Me and grandma had to figure that out. We spent quite a while gaining our footing there, trying to create a little bit of camp culture um, at Singing Hills because there just, there's, there wasn't really any, I mean, like I said, no returning staff, it's all troop camp. So there's not really a history of like returning campers either. So yeah, unfortunately we, <laughs> for it being Singing Hills Girl Scout camp, we did not do a whole lot of singing. <laughs> at least you guys recognize that and you're like, okay, maybe we should add some routines. Interesting. This camp has been around for, I think the website said 1958. And yeah. that the, there's not a high returning staff, but yet it's still going and it's still got a big, rich history. Mm-hmm. And it seems like every year, every couple of years, it can be reborn and made into something new. Like routines could change, traditions could change. And yeah. yet this facility is still going to stand the test of time. That's mm-hmm. very interesting to me. Yeah, it is. It's one, it's really fascinating. And the biggest thing that I noticed, having worked there, I can see why the staff return rate was not is not high. It's because it's it's completely different to any other camp. Like if you're looking for that classic camp experience as a staff member, Singing Hills is not it. We actually ended up transferring a couple of our staff members for the last week to a different camp. And both of them were like, yeah, we love you guys, but this camp is way more fun. (laughs) And I think that just has to do with like the socialization. There's a lot more energy. You are in charge of the kids. So there's things like that. So when we were at staff training, for all of the camps. Like I said, they would break us off. We would learn a lot of general things all together, but then they would break us off into our specific camp staff groups. And the thing that came up more often than not throughout all of staff training there was each camp works this way, except Singing Hills. So like we, <laughs> like we were constantly being told, this is how it works except you guys. I really enjoyed it. But again, I was also coming off of three really high energy, jam-packed social environment, three summers of that at two different camps. And I came into Singing Hills and I was like, this is great. I I love this. It's a, it's a lot more laid back. And that's what I was kind of looking for at that point was, like I said, I, I didn't realize until I was at Singing Hills that I am more of an introverted person than anything else. And so, you know, I was really burned out just in general as a human being by the time I ended up at Singing Hills. And so having it be a lot more laid back and relaxed and you're not with kids 24-7, you're not expected to be with kids 24-7 was really what I needed. But I can see why it's not the camp experience that other people expect. Absolutely. It sounds like it was a great way for you to like kind of debrief though your camp experience. If you've decided that this is your last stop, I mean, I would say that was a wonderful place to kind of hang your hat. That's so interesting. And I I totally understand where you're coming from with the whole, like, you're like the redheaded stepchild of the organization. I work for a year round school in a district that only provides like two year round 
buildings and this is a rather large district Uh so it's like every time I ever get a training it's for everyone but me like (laughs) exactly (laughs) when it's it's through the whole district lens Um, and I'm like yeah great why am I here Um, (laughs) yeah exactly why am I here well and that's what it took away mainly from our staff training because then we got to our camp and they're like yeah you kind of take all of the programming and like all of the scheduling and structure they taught you and forget it all because we have our own thing like singing hills was definitely in its own universe it's, it's its own bubble universe compared to the rest of Girl Scout River Valleys. And, you know, that's a good thing because it offers that troop camp experience that, you know, campers that may not want to go to residential camp on their own or may not have that opportunity to go on their own, they can come with their troop to Singing Hills. So it, it does offer, it does serve a purpose. It does offer opportunities, but it was a completely different camp experience for sure. It was just very, very different. Is this not the way that scouting VSA sets up like all of their resident camps? Like you go with your troop? Cause I've rarely ever heard of this set up in the girl scouting organization. And it's like, it's th- I'm pretty sure this is the way that the scouting VSA former boy scouts has set up their resident camps. And now granted they operate on a huge scale. They have reservations and camps within camps and stuff like that. But still like that's, Like, that's how it's done. And it's interesting that, like, for us in Girl Scouts, it works so much better, at least in my experience, when you have the girls come and they maybe only have one person that they know or they don't know anybody else that is there. It just the group dynamic is just so different. Sorry, I was just kind of putting that together in my brain after, you know, these interviews with other types of people and everything. I'm like, it's so interesting how some things work for some organizations and some things you just don't see that often in others. So, yeah, no, that's what was really interesting about just Girl Scout River Valleys in general. Like I said, they've got their five different camps and each one was kind of designated for like a specific purpose. Camp Elk River was like their main base camp. It was their biggest location. They did resident day camp program. Camp Lakamaga like focused on aquatic activities and was their younger programming. Camp Northwoods was like remote, older kids, very rustic. And speaking with some of the past staff members of Camp Northwoods in the river valleys, it's so remote that they actually had camp staff that was stranded there the previous summer because of flooding and they had to be oh. rescued. They had to be rescued by boat. Like that's how remote Camp Northwoods is. It's very rustic, more outdoor survival experience. Camp Singing Hills was the troop camp, and then Camp Edith Mayo was the day camp. So that was really cool to see that, like, they have all these camps, and each one kind of serves its own purpose and its own different demographic. That's brilliant. You're offering a camp experience for every type of person, or you're offering multiple different types of camp experiences so that people can see, you know, you don't have to just send your child off away for a week, 10 days, two weeks, the whole summer and let them go like there's multiple ways to do it that is so good and you said this is the girl scouts of river valleys that does this yes i'm like on their website and they still have all of these camps like they it is clear that they have survived covid they are still rocking Mm -hmm. and rolling Girl Scouts of Greater Iowa, that council is really, really great. Obviously, it has a really special place in my heart since Camp Sac is my home camp and my first camp experience and most of my Girl Scout experience has been through Girl Scouts of Greater Iowa. But I really, really enjoy my time with Girl Scout River Valleys. I cherish that experience a lot. I think it's so funny that you even said too. And my first camping experience, I really actually didn't like it. I was homesick. Seriously, I think, honestly, I think the way it happened, well, because when I was an 18 year old trying to figure out what to do with my life, I mean, I felt a lot of pressure to go to college. And at the time, it just was not going to be for me. College was just not for me at that point. And I'm like, well, I might go to camp. I might work at a camp. And like I said, I had originally planned to try and work at Riverside Lutheran Bible Camp, the one that, you know, really sparked my love and my passion for camp as a camper. But going through their their application process, I realized very quickly that 
it is a Bible camp, very much based in their faith and by the Bible. And spoiler alert, I'm not religious. <laughs> so uh, I, I realized very quickly that as a staff member, it just wasn't going to work. And so I knew I wanted to go work at a camp that was still close to home, somewhere in Iowa at the very least. And Camp Sack popped up and I was like, oh yeah, I went there as a camper and I hated it. But maybe I can go back and create a better experience for the current campers and myself. And that's what ended up happening. So I think it, it kind of came full circle. I wasn't ready for camp sack when I was a camper, but it came back into my life as an adult and I was ready for it then. And I ended up having the camp experience that I needed to have. So yeah, it was just a very full circle thing to come back to Camp Sack and be like, we're going to make it work this time. <laughs> <laughs> no, that absolutely is. And I don't think you're the first person that has said that though, either. Like I remember in Rafiki's interview, she even said, you know what? I really didn't like Camp Sack when I went there as a camper. I was more partial to Tanglefoot. <laughs> it speaks volumes to you like as a staff member though, too, that you were able to take an experience that wasn't so great, turn it around and make it incredible and lasting, not only for the campers, but for the other staff members that you worked with. So oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Something that, that I'm so grateful for in my adult life that I attribute and have nothing but camp to thank for is that I have friends. I mean, I, I wouldn't have friends as an adult if I didn't work at camp as a, as a young woman. Like I, all of the friendships that I have and cherish now in my life were people that I met at camp. And that I think is like one of the biggest takeaways I have taken from camp. And I just, I think about that all the time. I'm like, if I hadn't worked at camp, I don't know where I would be right now. Like, honestly. Yeah, no, it gives us so many skills so many soft and so many hard skills that honestly just people are not getting nowadays. Yeah. People that oh, it's not being taught in schools. Granted, you can't teach a lot of like the soft skills in schools. Like yeah. that's, it's just not set up for that, mm -hmm. but oh my gosh. And if we don't give these experiences to our youth. All right, camp kids, that was thunder. Make sure to contact them. If you have any questions and check out all the links in the show notes, if you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to like share and subscribe. Let's keep our camp kids community growing by spreading it to others who are also a part of the camp community. Please leave a rating or review, preferably a five-star rating so that others can find our podcast. Be on the lookout for the second part of our interview with thunder later this week. That's all that I have for you for now, but remember that this is good night and not goodbye.